Well, good morning to you. I'm Joel, one of the pastors here. Let's jump into the Word of God right now. How about it? You ready? There's your intro. Let's just jump into it and to read the Word of God. If you're physically able, if you would stand with me right now, uh, that'd be great. Online, even if you're sitting on a couch, stand up with us if you would. We're reading the Word of God, the perfect Word of God, the inspired Word of God, 100% from God to His people. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 through 34. And uh, this is going to be important because this is going to step us into, lead us into so much today. I'm going to say Matthew 20, 29, uh, 29 through 34 more because as always, I'm going to be inviting you to write down all types of passages today. Later on this week, we can go back and be reminded of the significance of those very things. Here's Jesus. I know you're already saying, but just bear with me here. Here's Jesus. Um, let's just stand the whole time. I stand the whole time. I think you should stand the whole time. Um, um, so here's, here's Jesus. This is right before, in the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 21, he's going to be stepping through the gate to go into Jerusalem for the very last time. So that's exact, in Matthew chapter 21, triumphal entry, Jesus is going to be coming in. The reason I'm telling you this is because he is now at the end of his messianic period of about three years where he just says, I am Messiah. He reveals himself, beginning with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And now as a result of that, they all know about him. And it tells us right beforehand, it says, a great crowd is following him. Here it is. Let's jump into it. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. So imagine right now all the crowds of the time of Jesus. Imagine this times a whole lot. And in the midst of that crowd, you're going to have a bunch of religious leaders and Pharisees listening for every word that Jesus says because they don't like who this guy is and what it is that they're hearing about him, what, who he's claiming to be. And so you have this mass number of people gathered. They're fearful of religious leaders in many ways. And so here they are interspersed in the midst of all of them, and they're following Jesus. He goes out of Jericho. He, a great crowd follows him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting beside the roadside. How many? Two. So there's two blind men sitting beside the roadside. Who's following Jesus? A great what? Crowd. Great crowd being influenced by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders, all of these other individuals. That's the impact of what's happening. And yet still you have these two blind men, right? Here's what struggle can do for you. It can cause you to uh, gain better perspective on what others believe and you sometimes are more willing to stand in what you believe. Here's two blind men sitting on the road. This entire crowd's following him. And this is what they say. It says, they're by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. So I, I know I'm getting loud right there, but I'm getting loud because they had a great crowd following Jesus. I don't think it was like, oh, hey, Jesus... Have mercy on us. Like, I don't think it was like they heard them calling out to blind men, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. The response of the crowd. Here's the response. They're wanting to know. You know what type of friendliness the crowd has because they're wanting to know everything that Jesus says. And it tells us they call these things out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. But the crowd does what? Rebukes them. Telling them to be silent. 
Like, no, stop. What are you talking about? Don't say son of David. Don't call him that. Don't say have mercy on us. What are you doing? But the two blind men, this is what sometimes strife and difficulty can do. They don't care what these people are saying. Knowing that they could impact their life tremendously. Listen, this crowd of people, the people following Jesus, could have impacted these two blind men in a tremendous way. But instead, the two blind men, they cried out all the more. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. They knew who was walking by them. The crowd wasn't going to tell them to be quiet because the king of kings was in front of them and they knew it and they were going to call out his name. Woo! No, seriously, like that's... Who is silencing you today? What's keeping you silent from declaring he is the son of David? He is the prophesied one. He is the Messiah. He is the ultimate king. Doesn't matter what you follow. Unless you're following Jesus Christ, you have no life. But with Christ, you have eternal life. That's the power of my God. I have had no coffee today. Just a word. My, my mom sent me. She's like, Joel, you need to calm down. Like, she sent me a message out the first hour. I was like, it's not coffee. I'm like, I'm drinking lots of water. She said, what's in the water? I'm like, no. <laughs> they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. They didn't care what the people thought. They didn't care what the community thought. They didn't care what the religious leaders thought. So Jesus, Jesus stopping, called them and said, what do, you, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. This is the word of God. You may be seated. They called Jesus, right? Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Why would the people, even if they say, hey, have mercy on us, why would the people rebuke that? Listen, you need to understand right now, Jesus being son of David, also son of God, matters a lot. And I'm about to tell you why. Because these are individuals who knew what son of David meant. They knew the prophecies about who Jesus was. I'll give you some quick examples, very fast things for you to write down. Let's start, um, just a passage for you to write down. Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17. What you have is the genealogy. And that genealogy, and it's it's an abbreviated version of the genealogy in many ways, but what you have is you have Jesus being spoken of as the son of David. This is important because Hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, this matters again, hundreds of prophecies referring to uh, someone coming from the lineage of David as Messiah, the prophesied one. Matthew 1, 1 through 17 talks about that, that Jesus came from the lineage of David, a direct descendant of David. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Isaiah 11 verse 1 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his root a branch will bear fruit. It's speaking about that very thing. Another passage would be Jeremiah 33 15. Jeremiah 33 15. In those days and at that time I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and, and right in the land. 
And so this matters. The religious leaders were upset. Listen, anytime a crowd then would be responding to something, it was typically at the prompting of the leaders. All right? So they're being prompted to this. The religious leaders would have been upset by the fact that Jesus is now being referred to as the son of David. And they understood the prophetic significance of the title. The point is the son of David was more than a physical reference of who David was. It described the one who would come as the Messiah, as the one deserving of worship. They recognize this. So when they're hearing that language, they're going, stop it. No, we, no. You can't do that, right? Can't do it. Because it was also identifying the one true king, the ultimate king. And so really, that's the point of today is I'm wanting to make sure maybe even that we, just like these two blind men, that we recognize who has come into this world. And as a result of that, we respond to it. We say, we don't care what others think. We don't care what you tell us to do. We will not remain silent. He is the king of kings. He is the ultimate king. And so we worship him. I'm praying that every single person who's watching today or a part of this service will have our eyes opened to the fact that Jesus is the king of kings. And so let's pray for that now. God, I come before you. And I am praying just as these two men on the side of the road as Jesus left Jericho and went into Jerusalem, about to go into Jerusalem for the very last time during a triumphal entry. That just as those two men knew who was coming and walking by them, that we too would recognize who has already come into the world through your son, Jesus Christ, that he is the ultimate king, that you would open our eyes, please, our hearts, our minds. And I know that sometimes with the, the hardship of the world today, the difficulty and all of the, the struggles that people are walking through, it can be as though our, our head's in a cloud and we can't see clearly. God, give us clarity in terms of who you are. There are some in this place right now and, and there's struggles in the strife of marriage or friends or relationships or with work and with all that's happening with COVID and, and different things. God, there's so much hardship and confusion and sometimes darkness, but you are the light of the world. God, may we see you today with clarity. Please, Lord, open our eyes to what we have not seen fully about you. In Christ's name, amen. So one of the things I like to do is I want you to see why Jesus is the ultimate king, but also what happens when you're worshiping, when you're serving, when you're giving attention, when you're giving priority to anything other than Jesus as being the ultimate king. So I'm going to go way back, and, and you're going to hear some correlations and some ties, some connections to what Pastor Jim was speaking about last week. Um, but let's go back to Adam. Let's go all the way back. Uh, let's go to Genesis. See, you need to understand that Adam, he, he wasn't given the name king, but I, I would say that he was somewhat of an under king, meaning this, God had given him dominion to rule over the creation of the world that he had given and to say, hey, you are in charge here. 
He had dominion over God's creation all until the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Now that's important, right? God's creation, chapter 1 and chapter 2. You've got the fall in chapter 3. We, all, we speak about it often here at Chapel Point. You have creation, you have the fall, you have redemption, you have restoration. All together, it's Genesis chapter 1 through 11. But during, uh, all of a sudden, here's Adam. He's given this dominion, this authority. That's what a king has is this authority and, and to be able to help rule over. And yet he sacrificed that in Genesis chapter 3. He really was attempting, uh, what he was saying is, hey, I'll dethrone God. I'd rather do things my way. I'd rather buy into what someone else is speaking into my own life. So he forfeited his status due to his actions. In Exodus, God delivered his people from bondage to make them his kingdom. Right, Even then, there were so many different gods and the people, um, they had been for 400 years into Egypt and God says, I want to deliver these people. And he, of course, calls out to Moses. And then, of course, one of the ways that Moses comes and delivers the people is what? Through how many plagues? How many plagues were there? Ten. Ten plagues. And those ten plagues, every one of them represented the defeating of one of their false gods. Every one of them. And so here's God saying, don't you understand? Like, you need to know that there's been kings and false gods, but you need to know who you really need to worship. And God was coming to the people and said, I want you to worship me. I'm the only one worthy of worship. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And so the people and God made a covenant. But guess what the people did? God kept, uh, the people kept breaking the covenant. God sent judges to help them, to guide them. And it would work for a little while, right? That's often what happens. It works for a little bit, but then it falls apart. And so they'd want somebody else to help them or somebody else to listen to. And in fact, Israel was the only nation that didn't have a king around them. And so they're like, well, we want a king. We keep messing up. Maybe if we just have a, a king. And so let us get a king too. And finally God said, okay, fine, go get a king. And they bring in a guy. First king of Israel's who? Saul. They bring in Saul. Like, okay, you know, you know when you first get a king, they're like, okay, everything's going to be better now, man. We, we've been living in hardship and in difficulty. We keep messing up and making all these mistakes, but now we got a king. Everything's going to be so good. It's just going to be awesome. But listen, Saul is corrupt, and let's just be straight up honest about it. He's a bit crazy. We see it in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15. Next king is David. David, man, David, this is important because David, it tells us, was a man after God's own heart, right? David was a man after God's own heart, but yet we know that he committed adultery with Bathsheba and ended up killing Bathsheba's husband, murdering him. We see this happening, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And so even though it's important to know that, that Christ would come from that lineage, yes, and David was a man, again, after God's own heart, pursuing God, especially at the end of his life, he was doing well, but, but man, he made a lot of mistakes as well. It just shows God can redeem anyone from anything at any time, amen? Then you have David's son, Solomon. Solomon ruled with wisdom, right? This, this understanding, he was known to be the wisest of kings, and he had great riches, but what we find in um, 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, is that his kingship ended horribly. Like, it was bad. Messed up again. And then with each king, each new king, they're going, okay, it's going to get better now. Here we go. This is going to be awesome. Like, woo, okay. And yet at every single time, after time, it failed because people bought into themselves. And now all of a sudden they were pushing their own agendas rather than the agendas of God. 
I mean, Solomon ends up having 700 wives, and just as the Lord said that he would, he turned his heart toward false gods. Like, no offense, I love my wife, but 700, who wants that? <laughs> no, I'm not, that, see, that's one of those moments. Can we reverse 30 seconds, start over? Um, but like, come on, because you started listening to the wrong people. I mean, that's what took place. Saul, David, Solomon, even the judges, they gave Israel a glimpse of hope at times. But with each new king, Israel kept wanting more. And with great hope, all the time great, came great disappointment because they placed their hope in the wrong thing. If hope in your life is continually leading to disappointment, what you need to do is evaluate where you're placing your hope. You need to hear this again? If you're constantly having hope in something and you're constantly then experiencing disappointment, you need to evaluate where you're placing your hope. You have to evaluate what you're trusting and what you're giving voice, what you're listening to. Even when you start looking at the two tribes, you have the, listen, you have the northern kingdom and you have the southern kingdom, all the different tribes and, and both of the kingdoms. I'm not going to get into this much. I've done it before. I, I'll do it again, I'm sure, in the next year or so and, and walk through all this. But you need to know that they constantly had different kings and they were always, even some that were trying to lead well, especially, I would say, in the southern kingdom, they, they were always, always failing though in the long run. And they may have a good season here and there trying to bring renewal and, and commitment and, and a promise in the covenant that they had made with God. But all the time because the people were following a king that was not the one true king. What we see is that as a king moved, the people moved. So you better know who and what you're following. If there's not a godly king in your life, no aspect of life will be as it should isn't that not leadership? It's look at your own home. A home being led in submission to God by a leader is more likely to what? Submit to God. A home that's being led to worship God, right, on a continual basis is more likely to continue to worship God. Churches being led by the word of God will live by the word of God. And so it's no different for the people. They kept following kings that, kept stepping into what their own preferences were, that kept following what they desired for their own flesh. And so after time, even Israel, what we find is Israel even started to call out, there has to be someone better than this. And that's really what they said. There, there's, there must be somebody better than this. We keep going down the same cycle over and over. And, and that's the beauty, honestly, about what's happening today and all the brokenness is people are more receptive to the fact that everybody, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter who you voted for in the past, if you've been flipping around, it doesn't matter what's happening in your life. One thing you all, everybody knows today is that the world is broken. And everybody's trying to follow someone or something, some king, some idol in their life, and it keeps leading to the same thing. There is not one person that is living on this planet who has all the answers. There is one king who has the answer, and his name is Jesus. So know what you're listening to. I mean, do you not? I mean, if you buy into the fact we're just going to keep chasing our own desires and then that's going to work out better, 
I, I need, we need to have a serious conversation because you can see a pattern of what it's led to over and over and over again. You chase your tail, you finally catch it, and then you start chasing your tail again. That's what was happening with the people of God. There's got to be someone better than this. Friends, trusting in any king other than Jesus will always lead to disappointment. Trusting in any king other than Jesus will always lead to disappointment. And when other kings fell, Jesus will never fail. Any king other than Jesus will always fail, but Jesus will not. But in the Gospels, we have over a hundred references to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Often they're used simultaneously, one interchangeably with the others, not every time, but the majority. And so you have over a hundred references as the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, letting us know that if there's a kingdom of heaven that is present, there's a king that sits on that throne and that person, that individual, that God that sits there is Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God as his kingdom even. Jesus is the one true king that humanity has longed for. But because of sin, we're going to struggle. We will always struggle until his return to truly commit, to truly surrender to him. To be one of those two blind men who don't care what all the other voices are telling us to do. To be silent and, and, and to, to rebuke us. We're not going to care what they're saying. We're still going to say, Jesus is Lord. I surrender to him. We need to know that our hopes for a greater king, our hopes in a greater future are fulfilled only in the coming of Jesus Christ. And that's it. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You might for a season, right? But then it's going to happen again. You're going to make this much money. And then you're going to like, okay, if I just make this much more money, you make that much more money. And then what happens then? you got to make a little bit more money, right? It's the same thing. If I can only have this and it's just a little bit more And it's because we rely on something, a king, leadership, idolatry, whatever that is, something other than Jesus Christ. But Jesus is the ultimate king who rules with justice. Let me me put it back this. Let me go back to Genesis. Let me talk about Adam again. Listen, it tells us in in, in Revelation chapter 22, 1 through 5. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Jesus is the last Adam, meaning that at the end, he will reign and exercise dominion over the restored Eden. Jesus is the true judge and the king who reigns in his unshakable kingdom. That's Hebrews chapter 12. Read through the very end. Start with verse 22. Read through the very end. His kingdom is unshakable. That's what this means. It's letting us know as you start walking back, Jesus is both the son of David and also the son of God. The king from the line of David whose throne and dominion is everlasting. Luke chapter 1, 32 and 33. And with the coming of Jesus, that means the kingdom of God is always present with us. He is the ultimate king. In Jesus, our hopes are fulfilled. In self, our hopes vanish. 
Jesus is the true, the great, the ultimate king that the world has been waiting on. And if you can't see the correlation over the midst of thousands of years of how everything was unfolding, that even now two blind men on the side of the road, even though the masses said to be quiet, they recognize who the king is. If we can't see the correlation here, listen, everybody today, here's my real goal. You are going to be forced to ask yourself, do you actually recognize Jesus as the ultimate king? And are you choosing to get up and to follow him? And that's why he utters those words, those two words over and over again. He says, follow me. So this, what, what does it mean? If Jesus really is, if you're recognizing who's walking past you and you've been spiritually blind in the past, or at least spiritually uh, in terms of your sight, maybe restricted, and now you're seeing a greater view, a greater understanding of who Christ is as the ultimate king, what does that really mean for you? So I'm going to give you five things very quick. We're going to hit it fast. Um, five things that this will mean. Um, in terms of if Jesus really is the ultimate king. You need to know this. The ultimate king rules. And right away, that can create an uneasiness for anybody who has not actually surrendered to Jesus. Because we don't, we, we don't want to be ruled by anything, right? Nothing's going to... Have you ever heard anybody say, nobody's going to tell me what to do? I tried that once. I was about eight years old. Still feel it. Right? We, no, nobody's going to tell me what to do. You, know, you can't tell me what to do. I remember saying those words to my father once. You can't tell me what to do. Mm. You know, that's an international word. Mm. No matter where you're from, everybody understands. Mm. I started apologizing right away. I heard, mm. oh, I'm so, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just kidding. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, literally, that's, I was like, oh, I was from the South, so the accent would come back out. Like, I'm like, oh, Dad, what do you want? I, I'm good. I'll go cut the grass right now. You just did. I'll do it again. Okay, those lines would be awesome. And we need to recognize that we don't like that. The, the, the ultimate king will rule, but the ultimate king will rule. And we are to live under the authority of the king of kings. One of the great, this is the greatest honor, hear this well, the greatest honor, the greatest privilege I have is that I serve the king of kings. I am grateful to be under his submission. I am grateful to be under his leadership. I am grateful to live according to his will, his desire. I don't have to please man, I please God. He is the ultimate king of kings. What a joy. Matthew 2, 6, about him being the ultimate king rules, right? Matthew 2, 6, it tells us, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Someone who will have all authority. Someone who will lead. Someone who will guide. Someone who will instruct. Some, some, instruct somebody who will command the ultimate king rules. Second thing a king does, the ultimate king restores. And this is good news for all of us. If, if you're the person, in my prayer at the beginning of the message, I, I was praying about like, sometimes you feel like you're just walking through a dark cloud. Everything's a dark cloud. Some people today feel like there's just a giant dark cloud everywhere we go. But the ultimate, ultimate king restores. 
brings spiritual awakening. He restores our soul. I, I want to read to you one of the most popular uh, chapters in, in the Word of God, Psalm chapter 23, verse 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. When you're absolutely parched, he quenches your thirst. When you are dry and you are broken and you feel brittle, he restores. The ultimate king restores. When you feel there is no way out of the the brown paper bag that you feel that you're living in, you feel that you're suffocating, the Lord of lords, the king of kings can restore. Amen? Has anybody experienced restoration through Jesus Christ? It is beautiful. But one of the things that comes with that restoring of the soul means that you have to surrender and submit to the fact that he is now ruling in your life. And he is now wanting to restore your life. Third thing that the ultimate king does is the ultimate king protects. The ultimate king protects. A king was a warrior who led the people in battle to protect them, to defeat their enemies. Um, Psalm 46, verse 7. Psalm 46, verse 7 tells us that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so we live within that fortress and knowing what God has asked of us. Now, if you step, here's, this, here's one of the, the dilemmas that we can sometimes have walking through life. Is if you feel like you're one of those guys on the brown paper bag and you're suffocating with all that's happening in the world today, often what we do is God says, here's the fortress that I've built, live within this, but we choose to step outside of that fortress. And we're like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm good, I'm going to go it alone. Right, one of the times when I remember I was somewhat young, I was stepping out and I was like, hey mom, dad, I think I'm going to go ahead and move out. I was trying to make that decision. And they're like, oh man, okay, that's great. They, my parents raised me to be crazy independent. Probably a little too independent. I don't know. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, hey, okay, yeah, I think I'm just going to go ahead and live out on my own. And then they go, okay, well, just know we're out. What do you mean you're out? Your rent. I'm like, oh, I already got that calculated. You're paying all your electric bills, water bill. I'm like, oh, how much do you think that is? Don't laugh at me. You did the same thing. <laughs> They're like food, like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to feed myself. I was like, how much do you think that costs? They're like, you? You want to know how much you take to eat, to feed? You're like a cookie monster. And, I'm like, and I started doing all the math. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, okay, wait a second here. I mean, isn't that what happens? We don't really calculate, and so we want to go out on our own. We want to live our own life, and yeah, that's one way of doing it. But I'm talking about, but we want to even do it spiritually. We want to chase what we want to chase, and God's saying, here's where I'm putting you. Here's the fortress that I've built. I'm going to protect you. Don't worry about it. But then often we step out of that because we don't recognize him anymore as being the king of kings, the ultimate king in our life, and we start to serve something else, and then we get upset with God when the arrows start to hit. Anybody, yes? You know what I'm talking about. But he protects, but we need to know that we need to stay where in the kingdom in which he has said, live in my kingdom. I am the ultimate king. But if you want to step on your own, don't be surprised when the arrows start to hit you. The arrows are going to come no matter what. Ultimate king protects. Fourth thing, the ultimate king leads. Those words that I mentioned before 
or powerful two words that Jesus started uttering as soon as he began his messianic ministry right away. He preached him on the mountain and he starts encountering different people and all these individuals. He starts looking at them, even people like Levi, tax collector, right? Matthew is another name that he would go by. He started uttering words to them and their two words are so powerful. The words are this, follow me. Right? You, you, you're there, you're like, oh yeah, I know those words, follow me. Jesus is looking at every single person who acknowledges him as king. The two blind men on the road, Matthew chapter 20, 29 through 34, he's acknowledging, they're acknowledging, hey, that's the ultimate king. He says, follow me, I'm following him. I don't care what the crowds say. And so the ultimate king, he leads. And you, the question actually that you have to ask is, are you, are you willing to follow that even better how close are you following it's a great exercise to do hang out with some friends this afternoon talk to them a spouse loved one whoever it is and say hey if you go from like one foot all the way to one mile how closely are you following Jesus right now in your life that's a fun exercise how closely are you following him what does that look like in your life? Because the ultimate king is leading. Are you following? Fifth thing. You need to know this. The ultimate king will be. Listen, this is important. In fact, let, let's do this. Let's just go ahead and stand up if you would. It tells us that the ultimate king will be worshipped. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says that wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They, they probably arrived two years after Jesus, right? But they heard about it. See, these wise men, they knew, even from Assyria, they, they knew the prophecies that were being spoken and the hundreds of them. And so now all of a sudden the wise men are hearing about, oh man, I heard the word son of David. Messiah's coming. Oh, I got to go. They got up. They got all their stuff. They collected everything they had. And they started walking for two years until they came to Jesus. It's a little more difficult than getting in your car, driving 2.3 miles to get here today, and then going, man, that was a chore. Just say thank you. It's December in Michigan, and there is no white stuff outside. And if that's the only time you clap today, there's a problem. Because you're about to hear something that is going to change everything in your life. Because here what we have is we know that the ultimate king is going to be worshipped. These wise men, they come from the east, from Jerusalem, and they ask this one question. Where is he who has been born? Where is he? That's what they're asking. Where is he? Where, where's the king who's been born king of the Jews? Where's that little baby? Where? Where, where is he? I need to know. We saw the star, it came into the sky, and it tells us one thing. We came for this reason. It just says, we came for this reason. It doesn't say, we came for this, 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 and this. It says one reason, we came to worship him. We came to worship him. They knew the prophecies of the Messiah, the son of David, the son of God was being born, giving into this world to redeem and restore that all these other kings that people have been following and they keep failing and they keep making mistakes and they keep pursuing themselves. They knew none of it was working. And so God said, I promised it from the very beginning. I'm going to give you my son. He's the ultimate king. If you follow him, you're going to know life. And so they came to bow before the true king. Friends, this is what you have to know. 
Jesus Christ came into this world as the ultimate king after a 400-year period of silence. Now you see, even prior, Old Testament, God had spoken to the people and he had made a covenant with the people of God. And he said, listen, if you obey me, if you follow me, but they kept breaking the covenant over and over again. And so he warned them. He said, listen, don't, don't keep doing this. You keep following people. You, you're not following me. You're following their desires. You're not following my desires. Stop. And that might be you right now. And he says, stop. But guess what? They wouldn't listen. So what we find in the Old Testament, he sent nearby nations, first Assyria, and then he sent Babylon as instruments of judgment. And so they were taken, either they were killed or they were taken into captivity. They were enslaved. If you don't think it was bad, know this. In Lamentations 2.20 says that the parents were so desperate for food, they ate their own children. That was captivity for them. Lamentations chapter 5, verse 11, tells us of the women being raped by conquering armies. But they wouldn't listen. They still wanted to live for self. They wouldn't obey the one true king. Jeremiah chapter 52, verse 10 and 11. Says the king of Babylon, I told you Assyria was first, and here came Babylon. They're in captivity with them for 70 years. And you look at this, it says the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his own eyes. All the officials. And then he gouged out the eyes of King Zedekiah. Bound him in chains, took him to Babylon, and put him in prison until he died. Israel's last, listen, this was, that was Israel's last king. Israel's last king was forced to watch his sons slaughtered in front of him only to have his eyes gouged out. So that was the last thing he ever saw. And yet now you've got two guys who have no vision in Matthew chapter 20. And they recognize that the king is walking by, son of David, and they can't be silenced. Think about that as a correlation. Think about the significance of that. Here's a king, has his eyes gouged out, but yet here are two men blinded and they know who's walking by even if they don't have physical sight. You need to recognize this is what was happening because of their disobedience. They would not listen to God. But here's what you need to know. That even though after all this, all of a sudden came this long 400-year period, things were long and silent and lonely and cold, and you know that the people of God were calling out in angst and desperation and suffering and hardship, and they're calling out. But then guess what? You know this is where, come on. We open up the, the pages of the New Testament and everything starts to shift. The angels that had not been heard for centuries were starting to speak again. First, right, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby. No, we're old. We can't have a baby. Okay, you don't trust me. You can't talk anymore, but you're going to have a baby. His name's going to be John the Baptist. 
and then to marry. You're a young lady, never been married before. An angel comes and says, listen, you're going to have a child. You're going to name him Jesus. And I was like, how is this possible? And then I, oh, it's possible. And she's like, okay, guess what? Here's my response. I'm your bond slave. Do what you will. The pages of the New Testament open up and everything starts to change. God is no longer silent. Angels begin to speak once again, bringing a promise that would alter humanity for you and for every single person for the rest of eternity. The one true king was coming to earth. Luke chapter 2 verse 11 says, For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. It doesn't say who will be the Lord, who might be the Lord, who, who oh, if we just hope enough will be the Lord. It says, no, no, no. And the city of David has been born a king. He is Christ the Lord. He is my son. He will reign whether you want him to or not. He will be declared as the king of kings. He will be declared as the Lord of lords. Are you removing the blinders from your eyes to declare him as the ultimate king? Or are you remaining silent because you've given your heart to something different? Listen, Christmas changes. Every day of your life changes if you recognize him as the king of kings. The promised king has come. The promised king restores the ultimate king hills the ultimate king his name is jesus his name is jesus his name is jesus that's worth standing for my friends that's worth speaking about friends it's worth surrendering to so that he can rule your life. God, we come before you in the name of Christ and we submit to you. You are the ultimate King God. You are King of Kings. And I know that we have people in our own life, Lord, that some of us follow so well and we can tell you all kinds of things about this athlete about this musician about this youtube star about this politician god may we get our head out of the sand may we recognize there is only one worth following and it is your son jesus christ may we be able to speak more about you than anything else in our life may we be willing to speak about you even when the crowds around us tell us to be silent because we know that you are the ultimate king you will reign now and you will reign forevermore. You stepped into this world and you altered humanity for every single one of us. And so we come before you with gratitude and an appreciation. We come before you with praise and worship. Thank you, God. You are the ultimate.